Well, it's a beautiful, bright Tuesday morning. Welcome to Chucked. We are glad you're with us today. Austin and I spilling our vial of wisdom on to you, the listener of Chucked, the faithful listener of Chucked. Coming off of an incredible Monday night football performance again by Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers. If I am a Packers fan, I always have hope. It's amazing. I was texting back and forth with Ryan Hawk this morning, and Ryan knows Aaron Rodgers and and is the competitor that he is, Oz, and he just said simply, he always finds a way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he found a way again last night. Really amazing. His ability to throw from different angles. With one leg. With one leg. <laughs> it's just, it's another level of quarterbacking, mm-hmm. right? Did you watch it? Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, what didn't entice me to watching the game was, I don't know, I don't know, I'm sure you have this being... Um, a similar childhood as mine in that the NFL was my childhood, you know, just helmets yeah. and teams yeah. and yeah. Um, just, uh, just this, the NFL was as a kid, probably uh, even greater to me than the NBA maybe. Um, but, uh, and for some reason that game, that matchup um, was just like a, like when you think back to your childhood, there's always like that. Mm-hmm. Those those two teams that always seem to be playing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't right. know why. Yeah. Well, the, but yeah, the exactly. Niners and the and the Packers yeah. were always a, well in the, the '90s when you were growing up, right? Mm-hmm. They were both really good. Yeah, yeah, and Young versus Favre, and um, so those uniforms, um, particularly with the Niners having their uh, their uniforms Man, they wear are, now. Those are fine. They are uniforms. nice. Those helmets at night uh, under the lights are and great. And thank God for teams like the Packers who didn't feel the need to change their mm-hmm. un- their classic uniforms. Yeah, Packers, Chiefs, Raiders. Yeah, gosh, what a what a what team would do that? A chintzy mm-hmm. shortcut, cheap move <laughs> to try to change our attitude by changing our uniforms. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. like last night was you know even <laughs> what beyond. What a franchise did that. Yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. Those, uh, that matchup was, um, I, I just heard Ed Sable's voice, you know, the whole time. Remember <laughs> yeah. So I would watch those yeah. all the time. I mean, I just watched yeah. every one of those as a kid and those NFL films uh, presents, you know. And, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I liked it for that reason. But uh, then watching yeah, Aaron Rodgers, mm-hmm. um, greatest to do it probably. Yeah, I think he is, you know. I, oh, how can he be greater than Brady because Brady's won more championships. No, just you talk to people who know quarterback play, and then obviously it's one A and one A, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, it's yeah, it's uh, you know, I mean, gosh, Tom Brady is Tom Brady, but man, Aaron Rodgers. I I, I I've told you, I mean, I I'm a quasi Packer fan, you know. I just love those old traditional teams, like the Packers, who didn't feel the need to change their traditions, just mm-hmm. add to them. But uh, I I record all their games. I mean, I'm, I'm just not going to miss Brady playing, and I'm not going to miss Rodgers playing. There's two guys. Um, it's it's just amazing. They're, they make me glad that the NFL is protecting the quarterbacks. I know, I know, it's powder mm-hmm. puff and all that. I'm not into fo- in football because of the violence. That's not why I'm into it. I'm into it because if 10 men out of 11 do their job, the, the play fails. I think it's just execution, and those guys just know how to. Execute. There was a rookie wide receiver who made a bad route last night on a, just a little out out of the backfield and out of the slot, and 
man, Bray, and, and Rogers just looked at him. <laughs> <laughs> and you could tell that poor kid was just did not want to come back to the huddle. You know? I mean, just the, the standard of expectation, which is a leader you're always struggling with. How hard do I push people? You know, how mm-hmm. hard? And, and Rogers, guys like that, and Brady, they, mm-hmm. they demand excellence. Yeah. Um, they demand excellence. And uh, so, yeah, that was, that was fun. Um, tough weekend, though, you know, tough mm-hmm. weekend. You know, I'm a, I'm, you know, obviously we're Browns guys, but then I, I, more so than you, I root for the Bengals. I always have. I've always been kind of a, you know, Paul Brown. They're our cousins kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And that was just, I was like, everybody in the world knew when the Bengals score with a minute 18 to go. Too much time. You know what? I was thinking, if anyone can ever figure out, everybody talks about two-minute offense and four-minute offense. Can someone figure out a two-minute defense? If, if you can crack that code of two-minute defense, mm-hmm. you're going to win a lot of games. You're going to win a lot of games. Yeah. I mean, because nobody knows how to play two-minute defense. I suppose the defense and the other however many amount of minutes in the game there are, uh, minus two minutes, it's just too high risk. They, defense is such a risk. I don't know football. I don't know football. They blitz all the time. They so much. Yeah, I guess so. But you'll see teams that stop people for a whole game. Now, that wasn't true last night. Nobody wanted to tackle in that cold care last night is what uh-huh. it looked like, you yeah. know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and I suppose, ah, it wasn't that bad Sunday. But, yeah, I, 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 I guess it is, you know. You stopped people pretty much the whole game, and, mm-hmm. and, and you'll see that often, and then you go into – Soft coverage. Mm-hmm. Let people get it up. I, I don't, I don't, nobody, I don't know. There's, there comes a point when 50,000 eyes in the sky don't lie. You know, yeah. like people are watching this going, really? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, but, I, I don't know why, if you're Cincinnati, I was thinking Sunday, why, why you don't send perfect, hit the first, you know, Three, four possessions, defensive possessions of the game. Why you don't just send him at uh, Roethlisberger and take him out to take him out? I mean, if you're, <laughs> if you're perfect, you're, I mean you're that gonna, in a totally Christian way. Well, I don't. I, I, I'm not. You know, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. You know. Uh, you know. Uh, you know. There's obviously there's there's morals to that, but um, but I mean I mean. I mean, morals and perfect don't really go together. That that oh, no, which, he's going he's going to get a fine. Which is what my he did which to, is my point. Yeah, like if point, you have yeah, perfect on your team, if you're like, going to get fined. Yeah. You're going to yeah. there's a, there's a there's probably a Vegas bet in every perfect game. Perfect plays if he gets ejected oh, or suspended. You know, is. I guarantee you there is. So why not just set, send him to take out yeah. Roethlisberger early in the game? <laughs> I don't I don't get that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I it's uh, man, it's a bummer. So it's both. Both Ohio teams lost. We, we we don't need to really talk much about the Browns just not showing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philip Rivers, after the game, told Steve Weiss of the NFL Network, we knew everything they were doing on defense. Yeah, it like it. They, it looked like it. <laughs> that we just knew everything they were doing. So they they knew going into London this week, the Chargers, that we got to get this win. And they were, you know that one team was more prepared than the other team. And that's mm-hmm. what happens in the NFL. Young team. Not prepared, not ready. Uh, the big players for the Browns just didn't show up, like Garrett. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't didn't do much. Um, and uh, I don't know. Here's what I've been following this week too: is just this interesting because you and I are of a Native American heritage. Just shifting gears here. 
watching this whole Elizabeth Warren drama oh, play yeah. out, you know. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting she's celebrating the fact that she's 1,064th Native American, or, or at best, 164th. So it's either six to ten generations, six between six and ten generations removed. She does indeed have Native American um, heritage. and She uh, had a great, great, great grandfather that made out with the Native American one time in an excursion. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's just, just so interesting to me that, you know, in leadership and, and, uh, you know, she has used that, she used that at the University of Pennsylvania Law School. She switched her, her identity from Caucasian to Native American. And probably assuming that she was she more than whiter than snow. She is uh, more European than you and I. You know, we're Irish, but you know, we have. I, I guarantee you, we have. Well, of course, the Native American blood. We have more African American blood in us than than uh, than she, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's just there. So. Yeah. Um, the Babylon Bee tweeted out. I don't know. If okay, you saw no, this. no. Give us a Babylon Bee today, because if you missed the message this weekend, Chucksters, you missed some good Babylon Bee material. Calvinist despondent after genetic testing reveals he's just one one thousand and twenty fourth elect. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't get that joke, you clearly haven't okay. been in enough churches. So, so Calvinism, real quick, Calvinist <laughs> update, folks. Calvinism is the belief that in total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints, which all is to say that God has predestined the elect who will go to heaven. And if you're not in the elect, you're in big doo-doo. Yep. <laughs> you are in big trouble. It is, dare I say it, I, the, 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 extreme Calvinism, which all those have points of truth to them, but extreme Calvinism is why systematic theology should all make us run and hide. Because mm-hmm. it is ridiculous to think that we were born without choice, you know, mm-hmm. that, that there's no inherent human engagement in this divine action of, of salvation. And uh, that's funny. Yeah. That's really yeah. funny. <laughs> that is really funny. Okay, so speaking of that, are you getting your Babylon? Do you get a Babylon B dose every day like I do? You know, I get a yeah, little I Babylon B hit. Follow, follow on Twitter. You know, you know yeah. what got the biggest reaction this weekend was when I said, hey, all of you who take yourselves way too seriously, because you will get poked at in this Babylon yeah. B post. You yeah. will. I don't care who you are. You will be a target, and it'll zing. Mm-hmm. And, if it, and if you get angry... That's your cue. You're taking yourself way too seriously, okay? Because mm-hmm. they hit, they hit, they hit the left and the right. I mean, they do. Mm-hmm. They they don't. I don't think they. Yeah, they hit the left and the right. I don't. I mean, I don't keep track whether it's equal uh, opportunity offender, but they're they're pretty fair when it comes to hitting everybody in the mm-hmm. ridiculousness. I love that satire. Um, but you know, following that because I've always struggled. My dad was. Your grandfather was half Apache Indian. You know, his mother was, was you know, he, he part of his childhood was on the reservation. He went through mm-hmm. all the rites of passage and the inherent shame that comes with that. And then for, for dad, the shame that his mom left him, left Grandpa Charlie. Uh, and when he was three years of age, and this is just a messed up, messed up situation. But, you know, I'm one quarter <laughs> Apache. And uh, it's always been kind of a struggle on mortgage applications, you know, that I can legally put down that I'm Native American, and it just doesn't feel that way. So mm-hmm. the reason, you know, I don't, I mean, I feel Caucasian. Mm-hmm. So when 
that is utilized uh, in the way it's been utilized by Elizabeth Warren. I just, uh, you know, it's like, it's, there's a person, there's just a personal reaction there. From I me. know what you mean. I worked in a restaurant one time and there was a guy from Seattle, a cook who worked there as a higher end restaurant. And he was from Seattle and he had a reservation card. And, um, and he, and he asked me, you know, about my ancestry and, um, he 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 qualified less for the reservation card than I did. <laughs> He's like, oh, you should get one of these. You, yeah. if you, you know, you go back to Texas, you could go, you could yeah. go grab yourself one of these yeah. and get some deals. Yeah. So you know, I, I guess for me, it raises today the the issue to me that um, that it raises is is utilizing the utilization of your benefits, the utilization of who. The, those to whom you were born, where you were born, and um, you know I'm in a position where I got to be really careful. How, when you're in a place a long time and you you build up trust with people, then easily you can be the benefactor of people to a great extent. I mean, you can, you can. You know, uh, you and I both went to the game of the century. The Browns Jets a few weeks ago when the Browns won the Super Bowl. I mean, they beat the Jets, and uh, it was because our, our dear friend Glenn Plumby gave us those tickets, you know. And that doesn't mm-hmm. happen if I'm not here. Yeah. And uh, so it just—it's just a constant deal with me. You—you—you're uh, a preacher's son, mm-hmm. and with that comes affection, right? Mm-hmm. There are people who just love you for who you are, and then they love you because you're Sherry and Charlie's son. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I and then and it's interesting because I was thinking of this with you as I know like myself. I've always been proud that I have a Native American bloodline. You know, I mean, I just I was always so I was always proud of my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really thankful later in life I got to understand him better. I'll never forget a conversation we had on our back patio in 1992. Where he opened up for the first time in my life about his Apache mother leaving him and his trying to find her and finally finding her in 1986 in Orange County, California, and she wouldn't see him. And I can remember the moment when I understood him better. You yeah. know, like I understood him better why he struggled with women, including my mom, why and my and my sisters, why he he. He was he was such a high achiever. He was you know trying to always trying to prove his patriotism, prove his engineering acumen, taking up space in space in this world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know his self worth, mm-hmm. and I just I understood that, and and you know it's always been interesting to me. Then in light of, and I'm rambling here a little bit just to give you a full fledged uh, background that for him. This whole controversy over the Indians being called the Indians, the Cleveland Indians, and the Washington Redskins. Dad played on the Redskins practice squad, so mm-hmm. ironically. And uh, the, the irony that, you know, to him is ridiculous. It was ridiculous, this whole thing. Native, you know, Native Americans didn't care about that. You know, there's a very small segment. They didn't care about that. What they more cared about was how our government treated them. That's what they more cared about. It was a lot bigger deal than, mm-hmm. and than 
you know, the, the uh, football team's name. And the, the Cherokee Nation, one of the tribal leaders came out yesterday and said that it is, it is not a positive thing. She's using this for, for gain. She, they did not like it. It was unacceptable, inappropriate, I think, a word that was used. And uh, we have to be careful. So here you sit. So the question I had for you today, as you and I talk about this, is how do you feel about your heritage? And then, and then what? You know, you're on staff at a church where you're my son. How do you feel about where do you sit when it comes to benefits? Right, like taking advantage of benefits. I know what you think about it. But how does that hit you personally as we make an application from mm -hmm. that example of Senator Warren? Mm -hmm. uh, well, first, it, you know, it makes me um, encourage people to get more, uh, to get it. Well, I'd, I'd like maybe the, uh, pop culture to be more educated and it, and it could be on Native American heritage in their place as the indigenous people to, to yeah the Japanese learned from us by the way mm -hmm. that the Japanese learned from what we did the Native Americans in the 1800s that's what they were doing in the early half the first half of the 19th or the 20th century so, which was probably yeah. the most cruel um, arguably crueler than even genocide of the Jewish population in Europe um, the actions that actually took place there or, or at least on par the raping mm -hmm. of Nay King um, don't Google it but. Um, but I think, uh, like, you know, like a movie came out like last year that was really sobering for me and really educating for me. It's called Wind River. So Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen. And it's basically about um, how Native Americans, especially Native American women, um, I mean, the, not, not the success rate, but just the, uh, um, the pursuit of justice for them and, uh, and sexual abuse cases and um, acts of violence and murder—it's it's like, like one in few hundredth, or even like a, you know, they even try to solve and uh, and, and investigate. So um, you know, I think media like that is important because it is kind of just forgotten about. As is, like that one really bad night you had as a that one really—it's like that one really bad phase you had as a um, as a teenager. You don't really talk about it, mm -hmm. and and you don't, and you hope no one brings it up, and you hope mom doesn't bring out the pictures. That's what the Native Americans are to America, or as they are seen to America. I think is that let's just that's that was our that was our those were our teen yeah. years, and we'll let's not forget the 18th again. century. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, so I think that's that's number one. Uh, second, I think um, my grandfather's heritage, my heritage, him. His um, in processing how he thought of his ethnicity, his own ethnicity, and his um, you know, his mother, and and how he was raised, and, and the country in which he was raised. Um, I think it really helped me understand Southbrook and the culture that I was raised in, and I and I think really? I came to this a number of years ago and thinking through and reading about the Apaches and. Um, about five or six years ago, I wanted to learn more about that. And um, I think he, he, the racism he faced with through academia and, and through his um, 
his career at Washington and um, you've mentioned before, you mentioned to me, um, his race, his ethnicity, because of, because of what he came from, being a Native American, it caused him gr- great harm in the environment in which he grew up in America, mm-hmm. which breeds particularism and isms, mm-hmm. and singling out individuals because of what they come from. However, there was no more patriotic of an individual than Charles Lynn McMahon mm-hmm. th- yeah. that I've ever heard of and known. As far as a lover of the historicity of, of America, of um, and then the patriotism to act out upon the values and, and, and principles that America stands for and its liberty. Uh, oh, he, being a POW he, of Korean War yeah. and, and then serving uh, outside of that. Um, he uh, he never said that the country owes him anything. That's mm-hmm. the thing. I'm never once. Not yeah. only was he he was was he um, was he biracial, but he uh, but he was also you know grew up he didn't grow up wealthy or, or or by any means you know so there were a lot of things. So for me that helped. Did you me. ever have com- did, how how often did you have did did you ever get to where see he died when you were eighteen eighteen Did you ever get to have a conversation with him? about it much or no i don't think so i would have liked to i would have yeah. liked to have discussed them more um i mean there's 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 a there's a, there a lot to fear in him i think for me um in a in a in a, in a way of reverence you know um yeah unpack that a little bit what do you mean by that he was big he was dark he was stern he was um different from say Mike Young right, the mm-hmm. grandfather you know very very different who was you know a good old boy from the midwest right i mean you mm-hmm. know very different um i didn't understand him as much and i understand my grandfather your dad more now um but i think there was just a there was a reverence there of respect of of intimidation that a young child would have for someone that's you yeah. know big and uh, dark and 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 smart. I mean, all, all, ever, all I ever heard him talk about was um, was history and politics and um, and the Native Americans. And he had a he had a great sadness that, uh, around him. So all of that for a child that just wants to hear Ed Sable talk about, you know, the Packers and 49ers. Exactly, <laughs> that's a lot to handle. So, oh yeah, um, like if you happen to come through the room at the wrong time, I can remember him saying. Austin Charles, stop here a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And you and Heath, your cousin, you know, are running. I, and you're, the, and honestly, you know, there was a lot of football to be played in those family reunions, and and if you got if you got stopped in his lap to hear a, a historical or political lecture, you were yeah, you were we call it minutes you, of the you game were in, you were miss. you were in the vortex. We called it the vortex, yeah. like it was the mind. There was the Vulcan mind meld where he had you locked in, yeah, and you weren't leaving that. <laughs> okay, mm, yeah. <laughs> So, but, you know, in retrospect, I think, you know, I learned a lot from him. I still got to learn a lot from him and, 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 and not just learn, but it's not, it's not learning something if it's just merely, um, if it's not applicable and it's not able to be, you know, to be practiced out and it's not, and it goes beyond just theory and, and, and into practice, it's, you're not really learning anything. And so I, I was able to learn about him, how something that was a part of his identity was not 
uh, created a lot of pain because of where he grew up in America, his 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 ethnicity. So, so for me, yeah, and, and Elizabeth Warren, let's safely say, did not share in the brunt of being raised Native American. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. Yeah, um, her ethnicity does not exist to that degree. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I was raised as a as a church leader, a pastor's child, and. That's a part of my identity, of, of my, um, part of my heritage, if you will. And the culture in which that identity grew up in was very hurtful because of that, because of something that was a part of me. Mm-hmm. So what did my grandfather do when that happened? Well, he became a learner of it, of the, of the culture that, in which he grew up in despite the hurt, and he became a patriot of it, the culture he grew up in, despite of the hurt. Mm-hmm. And so that taught me a lot of how to carry out my own um, That's really good my insight. Own life. Yeah. yeah. And then the benefits of all that. Um, and I don't think there's been a study, or excuse me, there's not been a studier of our culture here at Southbrook as a faith community than more than you. As mm-hmm. far as studying its culture, its nuance, its unspoken values, as well as its spoken values, its... It's unspoken theology as well as it's spoken theology. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. I think that you you mirror that. Because, you know, you, we, it's not that you're a victim, but being a child of a church leader, the, 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 the pain that comes in to a pastor's home, I would not do it again. I would not, do, I would not have kids again mm-hmm. and, have, and be a pastor. I wouldn't do it. You know, now God has redeemed all that, mm-hmm. but... Uh, it's 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 not. I'm not talking about just about the pain toward us, but that you're con- you know so and so died, so and so is did getting divorced, so and so has got cancer. I mean, you're just constantly pain is coming into your home, mm-hmm. and uh, I would I, I've never thought about you in light of your grandfather like that. That his analytical mind. That's where that is where you're very similar to to your paternal grandfather. I think you. I think you most out. Outside, you 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 remind me of of Mike so much. You remind me your sense of humor is. I mean, your 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 maternal grandfather had a great sense of humor, and you are so much like him in your sense of humor. Mike was funny, man, and you are a funny cat. Uh, and uh, but that analytical, um, yeah, you you, you and, and then you know. Then there's, on the tennis court sometimes, you'll get so mad at yourself, and it's like I'm hearing my dad getting frustrated with himself that some circuit won't work, that he's just connected on the motherboard, you know? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I just, sometimes I just, I mean, I've told you that. I'll stop, mm-hmm. and I'll like, oh my gosh, that was, that was just my dad. It, how did you pick that up, you know? Mm-hmm. But I love that about being able to analyze culture. And then in that analysis, you separate yourself from its effect from you because you're able to put it on the table. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, that's the basis of, um, of, uh, of cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. Is you, you, you have these thoughts. And then this uh, cognitive distortive thoughts, and you, and then you examine them, and you think, well, how, mm-hmm. well, how can I? And then you hypothesize with them. Well, if I do this, 
if I think this, then I might do this. And if I do that, this will happen. And so you're able to, you know, and yeah, so I, I think uh, that's in a, he, he's helped me think through where I am and, and um, what responsibility is and, um, and what I can do going out of that. I, uh, um, I certainly, I certainly need, I think, uh, 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 a con in that, a, a negative in that there is, there are some, and I think one of them is, um, in a, uh, I don't know, in a Christological sense, I, it, it wouldn't, I can get too much wrapped up into the institutional Southbrook and not enough into the mission of uh, disciple of Jesus. So mm-hmm. there is that too, to, to mm-hmm. and I think I've been um, particularly trying to think about that um, in the last year. Yeah, and as your job has moved more into that, right? I mean, your mm-hmm. your role is how to build the discipling culture of Southbrook, not the institutional framework. Well, yeah, and I think for uh, it, it, you know, I know I, I like I know how I'd like to answer the question. But, you know, I mean, we don't know our faith until it's truly tested, until we're out in the desert with the devil. And, um, you know, like, what I, do I want, you really have to ask yourself, and people that really love Southbrook should really ask themselves, should definitely seriously consider the question of um, how much would Jesus matter if Southbrook didn't exist in your life, as mm-hmm. far as what you do and what you talk about and how you live. Mm-hmm. If there was no Southbrook, how, does, does the church, the institutional church, more important than understanding Which is dangerous. Jesus' life? It's dangerous because that church will let you down. Mm-hmm. The institutional church, doesn't matter how great it is, how big it's been in your life, it will let you down. Well, and it's a particularly important question in this day and age with the, um, the threat that the institutional Sunday as much as it shouldn't be the staple of the Christian mission, but it is a, it is a, an imperative part of it. It's um, an anchor point. Yeah. Um, it's going it away. It is threat. It is threatened. And, yeah, it's going away. And so, that, and so that's a really good question to ask, you know, is, um, and because, uh, yeah, I can get too wrapped up in um, America as it would have been for my, you know, my grandfather and, um, and Southbrook. So, um but he helped me learn a lot. I, I, I think I did have more of a dialogue, open dialogue with with um, Francis, your mother, than than him, and I'm sure probably more than you even did with your mother. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, he helped me. He helped me learn a yeah. lot. Well, let's. You know, I, I one of the things is I want to connect. I know not all of you were were uh, heard this this weekend, but the thing that I gave a lot of thought to last week that applies here, and we'll close with this application is Dr. David Hunt is a psychiatrist. And he talks about the principle of the generalized other. And that is, that, that, that's the group of people or the people that we give power to validate or invalidate us. And between their compliment or criticism, between their affirmation or devaluation of us and our reaction to it is a millisecond of whether we empower them to do that or not. So for you, I, here, what the critical thing for our listeners to hear is no matter who you are, you had to get to the point where in that millisecond you decided whether to not let or to let Southbrook validate you or invalidate you as a person. Mm-hmm. Let it choose or not choose to create your sense of identity. Same that my dad did for the state of Texas, for the people of Texas, for the people of the United States, for the people of Newark, Ohio, who didn't like the big loud Texan, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, then the myriad people in his life 
that at some point, the, the what you do in that millisecond is whether you are a victim of it or not, or whether I I believe it gets redeemed in your life mm-hmm. or not, because those wounds that you have from being a pastor's son, a, a church leader's son, are now being redeemed. It's made you compassionate for the broken. It's it's made you a thinker. I mean, you you're a deep thinker of theology, and. Um, and that's the critical thing, no matter who you are today, is there's the event, and then there's your response to the event, and that determines the outcome ultimately, not the event itself. We hope you enjoyed Chuck today and our talk about the, 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 the other Charles McMahon, the, the third one away from, from Austin, and um, we'll see you next time on Chuck. Chuck.